0: It's a long way up from that floor, isn't it, sister? <laughs> it can be a long way up from that floor. If you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand powerful word of God. can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Look at your neighbor and just let them know you love them, would you? We're going to be in Psalm 22. Um, we're, going to, we're going to cover the whole psalm. It's going to take me... I've got to be on my toe. I've got to be on, on, the, on the run, so uh, buckle down, get your pen out. There'll be a few blanks to fill in. We're going to look at three different aspects of this song: David's cry of deliverance, the coming deliverer, and the culmination of praise. And it's really important that we see each of these three aspects in this psalm. So I'm going to start with David's cry for deliverance. It's a psalm that begins with David crying out to be delivered. And the most interesting part of that crying out is the very first verse of Psalm 22 is the same phrase that Jesus used on the cross. As I studied this passage, I thought it was interesting. I would never really considered what was it that David was going through that would cause him to say the same phrase. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ever felt that way? I'm telling you, there's times when i felt that way. God, why'd you leave me? <laughs> I thought I was doing okay with you. And of course, we all know that He never really leaves us. Sometimes our blinders get up and we don't see Him. But He never leaves us. But can you just imagine the pain that David is feeling in his life for him to... Experience this my God my God why have you forsaken me continue on with me through verses 1 and 2 why are you so far away from saving me from the words of my groaning oh my God I cry by day but you do not answer and by night but I find no rest then in verses 3 through 5 he begins to find his answer in verse 3 yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. You see, God inhabits the praise of His people. you understand what I'm saying here? When you have difficulty in life, turn the difficulty to praise. Learn to praise the Lord in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of strife. Learn to praise the Lord. That's what's important. And if we'll do that, we'll find healing like we need look in verses 4 and 5 David looks back on the history of Israel he says in you our fathers trusted they trusted and you delivered them to you they cried and were rescued in you they trusted and were not put to shame this was Abraham, Isaac Jacob, Joseph, Moses uh, carrying out through the Exodus the conquest of the promised land the time of Judges all this David is saying they trusted you and you delivered them What's that message for you and me? We can trust And if we will trust He will do what? He'll deliver He'll deliver every time Now He may not deliver like you want But He will deliver He'll deliver what's best for us Now, let's look at verse 6 through 8. Because David again looks at his present distress. And he says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Now, you've got to have a pretty lowly opinion of yourself if you think you're a worm. (laughs) Worms aren't the highest recommended species of people. Amen? Or or animals, I should say. Not people. But he trusted in God. Yet the people despised and they mocked him. Look at, look, let's, let's go on, verse 7 and 8. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So they were mocking him, the fact that he had a faith in God. Ever happened to you? People laugh at you because you have a faith in God? Absolutely they do. Because we don't make any sense. If we're walking the walk of God and we're living the disciple life of God, it doesn't make any sense that we're going to rejoice in the midst of turmoil. It doesn't make any sense. When the world seems to be caving in and our lives are falling apart, we can turn and praise the Lord. There's something wrong with that from the world's perspective, but not from God's. Now, look at verses 9 through 11. David remembers that God has not only helped his people in the past, God's helped him. In His own life, look. Yet, you are He who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Wow. If we would stop and remember time after time after time how God provided, how God rescued, how God has brought us through, Amen? You'll see it time and time again. And he cries out uh, to God in hope. And look at verse 11. But not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. So he's asking him, don't be away from me too far God, I need you right here. I need you right here. Thunderstorms were going on last night, and the rain was falling yesterday, and lightning was going on last night, and my two grandsons were gonna get ready to go to bed. And Beckham, he's the youngest, he said, Grandpa, I don't know about that lightning. I said, Oh, it's gonna be okay. He said, It's gonna be thunder. I said, Well that'll be okay. I don't know about that lightning. He's okay. Just kept going back to it. So Cindy Gigi went back with them to for them to go to bed and she said they laid there and They were patting their stuff on the stomach and rubbing their stomachs. And all of a sudden, gone. That's the peace of God in a baby's face, in a baby's heart because they felt safe. Here's David. Be not far from me for trouble is near. So verses 12 through 18 then provide the fullest description of the opposition that David was facing. In, in, in the very picturesque language of the Hebrew, he uses words and phrases to describe himself. Poured out like water, bones out of joint, melted like wax, dried up, laid in the dust. He describes his adversaries as strong bulls, roaring lions, dogs and a sword, piercing his hands and his feet. Does that sound also familiar fast forward into the New Testament? See, remember what I've taught you about prophecy. Prophecy often has a short range reach and a far ranging reach. And here we see this. David's dealing with his own life, but he's also prophesying of what yet to come through Jesus. So, look at verses 12 through 18. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You uh, You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. If this isn't a prophetic description of yet to come Jesus at the Calvary, I don't know what is. It's amazing. Hundreds, thousand years before. Jesus did this. David is talking about it. In terms of his own struggle. Then in verse 19, he repeats the prayer from verse 11. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. You see, he looks to God for deliverance. It's not in your money. It's not in your position. And it's not in whatever you think it is. It's always going to be in God that you're going to have deliverance. It's always in God. You can try the other stuff but it'll come up empty. I was watching on television the other day, uh, the, uh, it's a show about people who win the lottery and the houses that they buy after they win the lottery. Any of you ever seen a, house, a show like that? I mean, they, they go from these little bitty houses they lived in to this big, huge mansion. I mean, they, they, I couldn't believe the size of the house that they bought. I looked at Cindy, I said, man, we'd never see each other. I mean, it would have wings going off of it. I mean, it was big enough you could have 30 people living there and you'd never see everybody. I don't think you would. It's crazy. All because they had money. But yet, is there? are they going to be any happier than they were in that little bitty house? Nope. All for a little while. But all they're going to have is more stuff. Ultimately, it's just all stuff. You don't get to take it with you when you go. Somebody's going to inherit all that. least it was debt free (laughs) with the lottery winnings right look at verses 20 and 21 deliver my soul from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog save me from the mouth of the lion you've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen see david is beginning to stand up to adversity you see it He continually brings his thinking back to the faithfulness of God and prays for his nearness and for his help for the believer who is suffering. This psalm is a wonderful model of prayer and meditation. When you are struggling, take it to the Lord. And begin to praise God for His greatness. Praise God for His holiness. Praise God for His great and unconditional love in your life. And look and see what happens to the calamity if it doesn't go away. And it may not leave. It may still be in your face. But guess what? You'll face it better. You'll face it better. Now, I don't know about you, but I wasn't looking forward to having to wear an ankle brace the rest of my life. I really don't want to. I had to go get it. I had to go to a specialty store to get it because I have a leg like an elephant. I told Cindy when I came home from the doctor. She said, well, "What did he say?" I said, "Well, he sent me to the zoo." She said, "What for?" I said, "Well, they have a brace that fits an elephant out there, and they said maybe it could fit one for me." You know, I started pucker my lip up a little bit. But once I got the brace on, oh my goodness, how much better it is! And the my foot doctor said, "You know what?" It's also going to help the swelling in your foot and your ankle. Well, she was right. I took it off the first night and I said, whoa, look at that. Of course, it's all pushed up in my calf. Now, it's twice as numb (laughs) as So it's the little things. God's going to help you. God's going to help you. And there's oftentimes we ask the question, where God, where are you? Why aren't you near? Why aren't you answering? And yet as we focus on Him and focus on the goodness of God, then we'll find Him. We'll see Him. Psalm 22 is a prayer for God to come near. It's a plea that He would reach down and rescue. In both verse 11 and verse 19, David specifically asks God to come and be near him. Be not far from me. Do not be far off. So how does God answer David's prayer? The words David used as he voiced his prayer to God point us to God's answer as we hear these words echoed in the New Testament. Though the closing verses of Psalm 22 testify that God gave David an immediate answer that caused him to rejoice and sing praise in the gathered worship of Israel, his prayer was answered in its fullness in the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the one who came near? Jesus came down to rescue and bring us into his kingdom. That's the so what. So what about all this, preacher? What does it mean? Simply, Jesus came to rescue. He came to rescue and bring salvation. Now, let's talk about the coming deliverer. Psalm 22 points us to the Savior. Jesus came, dwelt with his people. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14 And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. David looked to God for hope. He was foretelling the heart and mission of the Redeemer. Jesus said in Luke 24 that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And this includes these words spoken by David in this Psalm. There are many connections between the Psalm 22, and Jesus, and the cross. Let's look at a few of parallels. First, there was the dividing of His garments and casting lots. In Psalm 22, it says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Parallel that to Matthew 27. And when they had crucified Him, they divided His garments among them by casting lots. He was dried up and thirsty. Psalm 22, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. John 19, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. He was despised and rejected. Psalm 22, I'm a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, and is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, we esteemed him not. He was mocked and ridiculed. Psalm 22, all who seek me mock me and they make mouths at me. They wagged their heads. <clears throat> Matthew 27. And those who passed by ridiculed him, wagging their heads. We see these parallels in the very words that were hurled at both David and Jesus. Psalm twenty-two, eight: He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. And compare that to, and parallel that to Matthew 27. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel, let him come down now from that cross and uh, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God, mocking and ridiculing. And then you see in the opening cry of the psalm, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? To Matthew 27. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," and he says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" David answers the question in verse 3. "Yet you were holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. Jesus was smitten by God and afflicted in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows; yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted." And also in Verse 10 of 53, Isaiah, it says, Yet it was with the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And we also can see the parallel in the final words of the psalm in Psalm 22. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. And then in John 19, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said... It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, it is finished means that this life was done. But there was still victory yet to come. Victory was yet to come. And so then let's look then at the culmination of praise. The conclusion of this psalm. There's a word in this verse toward the end of the psalm. The word enthroned. Enthroned. It's found in the Old Testament. It's translated as dwell, sit, and inhabit. And we see it in such verses as Deuteronomy 6-7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Also in 2 Samuel 7. Now when the king lived in his house... And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. First Kings 1, Solomon sits on the royal throne. Second Chronicles, listen to the places of your servant, your people Israel, when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Psalm 2, 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Psalm 9, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice. Psalm 110, The Lord says to the Lord, to my Lord, Sit at my right hand so I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 113, Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? See, God has ordained praise as His throne, His dwelling place. He lives when we praise Him. In the Old Testament, He designated The place of praise is Zion, the gathered people of God. And we hear the call of praise throughout the psalm. Psalm 9, sing praises to the Lord. Psalm 65, praises do you, O God. Psalm 102, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. Psalm 135, blessed be the Lord from Zion who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And then in Isaiah 62, "...and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth." So how did God accomplish that? He made His people a praise by sending His Son to save us. God redeemed Zion by sending Jesus. Psalm 2, "...as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill." It was to Zion that Jesus came to suffer and to die for His people. In the Old Testament the place of God's praise was represented by a, a physical city Jerusalem and a physical temple. But now, but now it's in our hearts. It's in our lives. Second Corinthians 6, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God, they will be my people. Ephesians 2, in whom the whole structure being joined together growing into a holy temple in the Lord. We're the ones that God has rescued. To be a people of praise. Hebrews 13. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And God is magnifying His praise by multiplying His people because God is extending His praise as His gospel goes out, conquering hearts and lives. Revelation 5, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then verse 22, Psalm 22 I will tell of your name To my brothers In the midst of the congregation I will praise you You see praise begins With a personal testimony Of deliverance Praise extends to the community Of faith In verse 23 You who fear the Lord Praise Him All you offspring of Jacob Glorify Him And stand in awe of Him All you offspring of Israel Verse 24 For He has not despised Or abhorred the affliction Of the afflicted And He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. In Hebrews 5, 7, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He he was heard because of His reverence. And so what? So what does all this mean, preacher? It's simply that Jesus came down to rescue us and to bring us into His kingdom that we might be a people of praise. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams, you've got to turn and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know that song. The Imperials made it popular. There's times when we can't see tomorrow. We can't see the next step. But we can praise the Lord because He has paid the price for us. I want you to see a video, and then we'll be closing. Let's watch this video together.
1: We see the story of Jesus going to the cross, and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative.
2: This thing's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. and Why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? This is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies
1: of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, alright, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This, is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner. A man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Paul. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man, he's a thug, and he's a crook. He deserves the chains, and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus? What has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, We want Barabbas. Yeah. Give us Barabbas.
2: this the other day and i felt god speak to me i love perhaps i love him but god he's a bad man i love him and i wanted him to go free but didn't you know that
1: he probably would have never acknowledged the freak it yep yeah, but i love perhaps
2: away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves them. And the nerve, the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I better work hard to get myself out. What?
1: That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the temptation, this sin, feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it. No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him apparatus. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and and I'm the Boavis and they start to take my chains off and I say no, no I deserve this I deserve the guilt I deserve the shame I deserve the consequence I deserve it Jesus seems to look at me say no son let me have it let me have your sin let me have your pain No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No!
0: God, I'm so ashamed.
2: What if I do it again, I'll still be here. Oh God, I don't want to hurt
1: you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins. Son. This is all we got. It's all I got, it's all you got. We can play games, we can play church games. so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. When I give him my sin, I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped.
0: you are enough we are all Barabbas selfish think only of ourselves at least first we are in need desperate need of being rescued. When David speaks of God as inhabiting the praise of His people, he is saying that God, You're with us. You're near at hand. We don't worship a God who's far off and unreachable. You are high and lifted up, holy and excellent, seated in the heavens, gracious and merciful and near. If there is just one today, God, that would have the courage to say, I've drifted too far. Would you give them the courage to stand and say that? Could there be one that says, my marriage is falling apart and I need you, Jesus? Is there one who would say, my children, my children are drifting away. I need them brought back to the Lord. Father, is there one who would say, oh, I need you. Oh, I need you. And Father, would fall on their knees and cry out to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about us so deeply. God, would there just be one today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Song of invitation. There's something about that name.